Welcome to the Stott Legacy. He is within us. He shares in the pain. We must not ask God to change his timetable because we're getting a little bit impatient. Or think of the beginning of the first letter of Peter. John Stott was born on 27th of April 1921. And in this, the centenary year of his birth, we're meeting different people around the world who either knew him or who were influenced by him. Please join me, Mark Mennell, as month by month we explore different aspects of the extraordinary life, ministry and legacy of Uncle John. <clears throat> Where shall I sit, Rico, shall I? Yes, I think the, 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 that chair. one chair there. Um, gosh, it's not very comfortable. It is incredibly uncomfortable because the spring has gone, but I'm never getting rid of it. Now, why is that? Well, that was Uncle John's chair oh. in, the, uh, in the old people's home he was in when oh. he was at the clergy home. And so that was purchased. And for five years, he had it. And then after he died. So he broke the springs? No, no, I think that's my <laughs> kid. Or is that you? Mm. <laughs> John Stott had the chair that I was sitting in, in his room in the retirement home in the south of England. And after he died in 2011, it was given to Rico Tice. Rico joined the staff at All Souls Langham Place in the 90s and so knew John well. And even though he, he and I have known each other for 30 years or so, we were colleagues for 10 years at All Souls until I left the staff in 2014. Rico is known to many around the world as a passionate evangelist and trainer, particularly through the Christianity Explored courses and its accompanying ministries. He and I met in his study in the All Souls flat that he's recently moved into with his wife Lucy and three young children. And funnily enough, this was the flat that our family lived in for that decade, so I felt a bit weird to be having this conversation in what had been my own study. But I've overcome my own pain and grief enough to be perfectly civil to Rico and we had a great conversation. I started by asking him whether he was scared of Uncle John. I think I was in awe of him. Mm. I think I, I, I knew what he'd done. I knew that as a very young man, he had shouldered the responsibility of leading the evangelicals, mm. you know, as a very young man. I mean, Bash, who was the guy who was the youth worker who led him to Christ, mm. had said he could take over the work when he was still a schoolboy. I think he had designated him as his successor, mm. you know. So then he'd run camps, the camps that I was converted through, through the through the war, um, and, and, you know, and then had continued to just take responsibility and lead when the evangelicals were a beleaguered minority. Mm. So post-war? Post-war. And, 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 and of course, it was the intellectual work that he and Jim Packer did mm. in terms of rehabilitating evangelicalism. So suddenly with his exegetical preaching and with his thinking, it became something that was plausible. Up until then, I think the keenest people had gone abroad, which is why the Southern Hemisphere of the Anglicans are much more orthodox, because I think our best people went and to some degree gave their lives. To places like Australia. Places and... like Australia. But if mm. you, you know, if you were keen, you went, if you stayed, then it was the more liberals you stayed with. And um, it was John Stott and Jim Packer, I think, who intellectually gave us the confidence to look people in the eye and say, no, we do think the Bible's inspired and authoritative. Mm. So you, you're first ordained um, in what, 95? 94. 94. Yeah. And you go straight to All Souls from, from college yeah. as a young curate. That, that must have been pretty heavy. Yes. Well, I, I mean, <clears> let <throat> me tell you the first thing that happened. So I, I, I always remember I was preaching on the 
9th and the 16th of October, morning and evening. In uh, 94? In 94, when I arrived. And so I'd arrived in the August. And I knew I was preaching and there was the prayer gathering, but they put up the preachers for the prayer gathering, at the prayer gathering. I knew I was preaching. I didn't know who else was. But on both days, on the 9th and the 16th, Uncle John was in the in the evening on the 9th and on and in the morning on the 16th. So we were literally preaching together for two Sundays. And I saw it in the prayer gathering. There were probably 200 people there. And I went, I don't know if we're allowed to swear on the, but I went out loud. Out. like that which was just i can't believe i said it and then i put my head in my hands i mean it was so just that overwhelming. Was out loud in front of the whole program terrible it was just <laughs> terrible i mean i perspired to think about it but but um i think what was amazing then and this <clears> is the lesson is that uncle john and richard buse had decided that it's the books of the bible not the preacher that's special mm. so you know the, the idea was always colossians is going to be looked at not that john stott is preaching right. And I think that other churches around the world have fallen apart when the great man goes. But Uncle John had always put other people in the pulpit. Mm. And so it's extraordinary that I, as a 27-year-old, was on the same day as, as Uncle John. I mean, I think the congregation dropped by 300 at the two services <laughs> I was on. But, but, it, but, it, but and when, I went around, then I went, when I went around the world with Christian Explored and doing missions, I was younger than the assistant's clergy. But what I realized is I'd been trained and been given the pulpit, mm. which gave me the opportunity. So it's very humbling. Now, sometimes Uncle John would then have me around. I remember when I preached on John 16 and, uh, you know, that verse, which is um, often misused, which is that the Holy Spirit will inspire the apostles. Mm -hmm. And then actually we will then be illumined. But I had but but I had not preached it correctly. And a lot of people use that verse to say, well, we're inspired like the apostles. Right. And I had Uncle John had me round for tea and said, now, how did that verse go? Rico? Did you? <laughs> I mean, it must have been agony for him to listen to me muck that up when it's such a big issue. Of course, I never forgot. So mm. and what he would do, Uncle John, was he would be good at asking questions. Yes. They were probing, weren't they? probing questions. Yeah. So but but do individual time. And, and the other thing that was amazing was that of course, he had three parts. He would travel around the world. He would write at the Hookses. And then in London, he would pastor. Mm. But I have a number of friends who are lifelong in my debt because I'd set them up to go and see Uncle John. And if I'd say, well, look, here's Pete. Would you see him? He'd always go, yeah, that's fine. Mm. I mean, he was incredibly servant-hearted. And... Well, he even had time for me as an undergraduate. I don't know what I was doing, but yeah. um, he gave me an hour and a half or so. If you pitched up, he did. The, 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 mem the memory I'll never forget, though, was there was a guy, I mean, I think I'll blub as I say this. Stuart Spencer was dying, and he said, oh, I'd love a cup of tea with Uncle John. So I saw Uncle John and said, this dear guy, he was 38, dying of leukemia. And I said, Uncle John, it was, it was Christmas time. I said, would you possibly see him for a cup of tea? So Stuart later told me, I said, well, what happened? He said, well, he asked me around for lunch. Then he took me to a film. <laughs> then we had tea. And then we had dinner mm. and I got home at 10 o'clock at night. Mm. So John had given him 10 hours. Mm. The ma this man who would be who was dead six weeks later, he said, I was exhausted. He said, Rico, I had the afternoon and the evening. Now that is just being kind. Mm. You know, he said, come on, Stuart. So they went to a film. I think they went to a James Bond film. Of course they went to James and Bond. Then they, and, then they, and then they had tea and then they had supper. And then mm. Stuart got home. He said, but I mean, he looked at me and I sort of thought, gosh, I asked Uncle John to have a cup of tea with him. Mm. So it's just this kindness to people. And I suppose always just keeping an eye out for individuals. He didn't see crowds. He saw individuals in them, didn't he? Yes. And I think that's where Bash had been amazing. I think mm. this, you know, we've now got lots of safeguarding issues around 
one-to-one -one, and rightly we need to be careful because you've always got to pass people back to the church mm. you mustn't keep them as your disciples right. but bash had nevertheless taught this issue this this thing that the individual really matters what's their next step how mm. do you befriend them john wyatt i know dr professor wyatt is writing a book on john and friendship and i you know john said that john wyatt said that you know in the middle of john's ministry he would get an eight-page letter from john stott handwritten mm. on medical issues mm. you know just the kindness and friendship of mm. it mm. so i think that was one thing i think another thing mark that made him a great friend was his sense of his own sin mm. i think that keeps you humble you just you know they said of simeon uncle john's mentor that you know he would have this extraordinary quiet time and then come out and whatever he'd been through the day before he was so amazed at the grace of god he'd be full of love for his fellow man mm. and the young men loved him because he was full of joy and I think Uncle John had a sense of sin that led him to see what a privilege it was to be in ministry. How can God trust me with this? And I suppose it also meant that he never, he was never superior to people because he knew his own debt. Yes, I, th I, th I think so. I mean, I remember one of his study assistants saying that um, a, a dear American brother had come up to him and said, Uncle John, your books have meant so much to me. Your preaching has. I just want you to know how God has used a righteous man in my life. And Uncle John apparently had replied, if you could see my heart as God does, you'd spit in my face before you said mm. that. So I think the daily quiet time, and, and again, if you look, read the last chapter of the um, Timothy Dudley Smith biography of volume two, it was his sense of his own sin. Mm. Now, I had a moment of that when uh, we were the two bachelors on staff, and between Christmas and New Year, one year, after he'd fallen and bust his hip, I went up to see him in Bridford News. I let myself in, and he was up there, and, and he was in tears when I got up there. And I said, Uncle John, and he said, he said, I've just behaved so selfishly with this broken hip. Actually, he hadn't behaved well. No. He lost oh. his hip. He'd not behaved well. But he was so overwhelmed with his own sin. He then said to me, Rico, I need you to be my chaplain and pray that I'll be forgiven. So I sat there and was like, dear God, Uncle John's behaved very sinfully. You know, <laughs> 1 John 1, 8 and 9. If we say we have no sin, we deceive. I was just, yes, Lord, I'm sinned. And I, and I said, Lord, we pray that you would forgive him and thank you that you know 1 John 1 8 9 you know that you, this gift of righteousness is given to him but of course as I left I had to go and have a shower I felt so filthy about my own sin I mean there <laughs> I've been and just confessed Uncle John's but mm. you know he really meant it mm. and and I think often with these fallen leaders actually it is a lack of their it's a self-deception and mm. blindness to their own sin they might talk about it but they really don't see it but Uncle John really did I suppose another difference is that he wasn't too big to be beyond challenge from others. Well, that's right. And I think Frances Whitehead was extraordinary on that. Mm. I mean, I heard so her... So she challenged him? She said, he's a stupid old man. She used to say these things mm. if he'd made wrong decisions. You know, he used to call her Miss Doom. But, <laughs> you know, he, he, she really had someone there who would tell, who loved him and guarded him, mm. but would tell him straight... Mm. And, you know, that's a wrong decision, John, you know. And I think you've got to have people around you who will deliver the bad news. You know, I mean, I, it, it seems to me, again, I'm no expert on what's happening in Russia, but it seems that Mr. Putin has been surrounded by people who've given him a view of reality that it is was. not true. Mm. I think I think he thought he'd walk into Ukraine and mm. he hasn't because he was he had bad advisors. And I I think Uncle John did have people that would tell him straight. Having said that, of course, we, we would all do anything for him. So he didn't really live in the real world. I mean, 
if he said, now Rico, there's a key in Aberdeen and you need to, I need you to go and get it. I'd have just said, Lucy, I'm getting a key from, for Uncle John now. I'd get in my car, drive to Aberdeen. I mean, so we, 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 we were so grateful for what he'd done for the gospel that in a sense, we, now we know with the present scandals, we have to guard ourselves mm. because you would do anything for him. You know, I mean, I, I think that there is a danger there, but surely it is church and advisors that keep your feet on the ground. Mm. So the first, what, two decades, or decade and a half of your time at All Souls was with John around. Yes. And how much was he involved? I mean, he'd obviously... Um, been rector emeritus for a long time, and um, Richard Buse was the second rector, and then Hugh Palmer comes along. So he's not sort of doing the day to day. But what what was his involvement? Well, in I all think sorts? three things I remember. The first was was he made me reorganise my prayer letter. Mm. He said, "Rico, it's difficult to pray. I need it on a daily basis." Mm. So he was praying for us, and you know this extraordinary. So you have points for each day of the month. Or something. Well, I would I would have paragraphs, and he'd say, "It's no good. I need your prayer letter set out with what's coming up, mm. because then as I go through it, it's there." So I mean, now that well, how many? If he was doing that for me, he was doing it for. You know, and he'd say, Rico, how was Guildford yesterday? I was, I was going down to do something. Mm. So first of all, he prayed. And, and, and that was shown corporately by the fact that the, the, the meeting he was disciplined about was the prayer gathering. Mm. Every two weeks, the prayer gathering. And of course, because he was always there and sometimes getting off the plane to be there, we were always there. I mean, mm. if Uncle John doesn't miss it, you don't miss it. Mm. He never said you should be at the prayer gathering. But so and then the third thing, he was at the staff lunch on a Monday and you know, so I think that the, he, he there was a, a way in which he was really there, mm. both in prayer, at the prayer gathering and at the lunch. And I think the lesson from that is that, you know, it, where does fellowship really, it, we eat together, we pray together, and then we pray for each other. And I, I, I think that, you know, as I look back, it was that, that's so how he turned it, up. He was involved in the invisible life of the church in a way. It was the sort of... The relational, the background. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it would be terrifying. The mission once, one time, you know, he turned up. He was in the front row as I was doing some training. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. But then I learned then, you know, if you're a young man, you say, now listen for two people, a non-Christian and a Christian. One you're going to train, the other you're going to tell the gospel to. And I could see that that, that changed his listening. So, you know, as a young guy, he'd be there. And that helped me. It was terrifying when he turned up mm. to preach. But the other thing was, Mark, he was available individually, as you found as an undergraduate. Mm. He would meet. He understood the relational, and particularly one conversation. He said to me, um, "With Christianity Explored, you need to move the day away to before they're Christian, and they need to count the cost. Mm. They need to understand the cost of this." And um, why do you think he said that? Well, because he understood that the Christian life was hard, mm. and and so he did Luke fourteen before you go out to fight. Make sure you know how big the opposition is before you build a tower. Understand what it'll cost. And, you know, he 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 had real reservations about the Alpha course because it didn't do the cost properly. Mm. And, you know, there, there, there was which I know he said to Nikki in person. So, you know, I'm not and Nikki and I discussed this, but, you know, he he you've got to do the cost. And he made me move the weekend away to or the day away to before they're Christian mm. and. But if you believe in the Holy Spirit, they'll yet count the cost. So, you know, that was a key conversation with me as well. So it was prayer, lunch with the church family, praying corporately, but then individually at key moments intercepting people. Rico mentioned Nicky Gumbel, 
who back in 2005 became Vicar of Holy Trinity Brompton in London, or HTB as it's popularly known. It was at HTB that the Alpha course was started in 1977, and Nikki, a member of staff at the time, took on its leadership in 1990. Alpha has become a huge global phenomenon, and in particular, it brought evangelism into the local church on a vast scale. Christianity Explored, or CE, deliberately used some of the best aspects of Alpha's course-based model. And while John Stott and the HDB team, including Nikki, had very good relations while John was alive, John was concerned that Alpha tended to avoid some of the harder aspects of the gospel, such as the nature of human sin and the need for divine justice, certainly not going into biblical detail on some of them. So Rico explained that now he's prepared to bring even some very difficult issues like those of sexuality into the discussion right at the very start of CE courses. Week one, week two of Christian Explored at All Souls, I say to people, we need to trust Christ to know what's best. Mm. And by the way, for the same-sex attracted people in All Souls, that means that if you come along here, they need to know that you will guard them in terms of holding to orthodox teaching on sexuality. So, yeah, it's very interesting actually at All Souls that, that we've got same-sex attracted people who are saying, please hold to the teaching of Christ. Jesus is Lord of my body. It's hard for me to be celibate, but I know that's the teaching of Jesus. I say that early on at the beginning. I get the cost out there. And that's all from Uncle John. Uncle John was so keen on people knowing clearly what the cost would be. What they were signing up for. Yeah. And if you get sin and grace, it's fine. And you trust God to know what's best. But we are standing with Christ in a world that stands against him. And presumably you've had quite a lot of pushback because of that, have you? Well, less so in recent days, because I think people are so disappointed with Alpha. They're so disappointed that they haven't made a stand clearly, um, you know, uh, uh, and, and I am too, because, um, you know, we, we desperately need clarity. That is the issue of our day. It's the authority of Scripture and the authority of Scripture in terms of what it means to be human and in terms of the human body. And Uncle John saw all this coming. Mm -hmm. That was extraordinary. And he said, we've got to preserve marriage and what it means to be male and female and the fact that actually... It's sinful to have sex outside of that. And whatever the culture says, we need to hold. Because if you want to be safe, you've got to go with Jesus. Mm. It, it is about believing the Holy Spirit. You say the tough things, you say them graciously, you get your tone right, but you tell people what the Lordship of Christ means. And when Uncle John pushed me to write Christianity Explored, those were the things he had in mind. Mm. Did he talk to you about the cost for him very much? I mean, did he open up to you much? Well... I'll tell you what was interesting. I had a broken engagement in 2003, which, conservatively speaking, was 95% my fault. <laughs> you know, and, uh, you know, it was it was a mess. And I, I just, I had to see a psychiatrist after that to get my head back and find out where I'd gone wrong. But what was interesting about Uncle John was, from 2003 until I got married in 2008, he was adamant I get married. So when I went to see him, he'd say, Rico, marriage is God's will for us, Genesis 2. Mm. And he said, I was overtaught by Bash, 1 Corinthians 7. Mm. But the big picture is marriage. This is what um, he said. So, and, and that actually really, because I, I, I think I've made such a mess of that broken engagement that um, I, I'd lost my nerve a bit. But it was Uncle John who, mm. and, and I remember Lucy and I, by the way, I, it, it's wonderful with staying with Lucy 
Mark is here at my home, but you know, I just love being married to her. But I remember we had a real row on honeymoon. And when I got I got into the bed and she was over the other side of the bed, and you know, the Great Wall of China is between you after this row. <laughs> and I could lie in bed and I and and, and I, I was saying to myself, Uncle John said marriage is God's will for us. <laughs> Uncle John so you know. And she must have thought that was great. No, I didn't say that to her out loud, but that's what I was thinking. I was thinking this is, you know, but he I'm so grateful because I love being married. I love I love my kids. And Uncle John, you know, if he'd have, he said, Rico, get married, you know. So isn't that interesting that as a single man, he pushed you to marry? Do you think then he perhaps regretted that part? I mean, I know that he saw all the opportunities and he could do so much. And, you know, there was definitely a calling to that. But do you think there was a, a bit of a regret as well? I'm sure there was a sadness. I mean, you know, he loved children. <clears throat> but I think he understood how to compensate. I think mm. that... You know, his study assistance. Yeah, he adored children. I think emotionally he learned to hug people. But yeah, deep sadness not to have that one relationship. Mm. I think Francis as well, though, in in many ways, was an amazing companion in the work with him. They were like siblings at the end, I always thought. Yeah, yeah. They so, but I, I, but but of course, I think that he could see the gift of marriage and and Mm. the gift of children. But at the same time, I think he had a tremendous sense of responsibility to the world church to evangelicals in Britain, and he realised the opportunity singleness could give him. Mm. But um, you, you, if you're going to stay single, you know, you, you really do have to work at personal godliness, and I think that's what he did. I mean, John Wyatt said to me he thought John Stott was the most converted man he'd ever met, mm. Professor Wyatt, and I, and I think that's right. I think he, he had remarkable reserves of self-discipline and of a walk with the Lord. Although, you know, again, after his broken hip, he, he wasn't in great shape. So he had these knocks that, that, that would be there. But and he was, a, he was a human being. Yeah. He wasn't, he wasn't some sort of angel of heaven. Well, it's interesting. It is, that's true. Although Dick Lucas, I remember someone at a conference saying <laughs> on Romans 7, you know, I don't do the good, I want to do the evil, I don't want to do this, I keep on doing. And John Stott says that's the pre-converted Paul, because once he's converted, he wouldn't be like that. And Dick said, of course, he's not like the rest of us. We all know that's the post-converted Paul. We're all like this. But John's not like the rest of us. And then Dick said, now, I won't have another word said against the man. He's got that bit wrong, but he's a great man and nothing will be said against him. Next question, please. You know, so I I always made me laugh. I mean, there was something extraordinary Mm. about his self-leadership. Yeah. I mean, that's a good way of putting it, isn't it? That... um, he was more ruthless on himself than anybody else. Well, I think he he had made a great study of sin, mm. both in scripture and in himself. Mm. I think he had come from the sort of patrician public school background right. that is capable of incredible pride mm. and of arrogance at its worst, of incredible self-satisfaction. And, and I presumption. Think and presumption, yeah. And I think he'd seen that. And also, I think he had been deeply touched. I mean, I, uh, he said to me once, the people he most admired were the third world pastors mm. that he met. You know, he had seen the humility of these people. And uh, so I think he, he just had a great regard for his own depravity. Mm. Do you know, I, I, was, um, I was with him on the day he died. I mean, it was only because I was down on the list at All Souls to visit. Mm. So it wasn't special well, we at all. We all took it in turns to go down, didn't we? We took it in turns. So I, w- I was down on that date. And... Um, I was there with Francis and his niece. And what I always remember is, you know, I came in and he sort of looked across and slightly, he slightly nodded his head, which was like, what's Shrek doing visiting today? I can't <laughs> believe Rico's here, you know. But 
a Filipino cleaner came mm. in and said goodbye to him. And he reached up out of the bed, took his hand, kissed it and flopped back down. Mm. And and then all the, the you know, the, the inner circle arrived and I, it was time for me to go. But no one was greeted like that cleaner. Mm. And that's Uncle John. He had this eye for mm. for the, 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 the weak, the one who needed encouragement, you know, and uh, that's a very moving thing. That's beautiful. Yeah. As I mentioned at the start, John Stott spent his final years at a retirement home for clergy called the College of St Barnabas. After he'd broken his hip in a nasty fall in 2006, it was recognised that the tiny London flat that he'd lived in for over 30 years was simply no longer viable, not least because it had lots of stairs and rooms on different levels. St Barnabas was chosen because he could have some independence at the beginning, but when needed, the quality and intensity of medical care could increase. He had many visitors, ably organised by Francis Whitehead, as ever, and we on the staff were taken in turns to go down and see him. After he died in 2011, his funeral was at All Souls, and then in January 2012, there was an astonishingly moving memorial service in St Paul's Cathedral in London. You can find on YouTube videos of the whole of the memorial service and edited highlights from the funeral. Links will be on the show notes. I asked Rico then how, looking back, he would capture Uncle John's legacy. Well, first of all, I, I think he really got me married. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, that's just an incredible joy. But John gave me the nerve to marry. Mm. Isn't that amazing? Kept Do you think saying, he wouldn't have done otherwise? Well, well you can't I, know. I, suppose. I, I think that I, I, would, I wouldn't have had the confidence to go, this is the right thing. I just made such a hash of my break mm. engagement. And I, I, I you know, he, uh, he really gave me that nerve. Um, Christian Explored, he got me to do mm. because of his fears about Alpha. Mm. Um, you know, so that was a, that was a huge thing. Um, he was utterly committed to being part of the local church. Mm. And so, you know, this idea of a parachurch ministry that isn't absolutely locked into and under the authority of the local church, I think that was, that, 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 that was huge too. Um, being very happy to sit on a Sunday and listen when you sometimes might think, gosh, I could be preaching somewhere else evangelistically. Um, no, I, I must sit here and listen to the word. I mean, Uncle John would come and listen He'd to listen me. To, to all of us. It was yes, terrifying. Yeah, well, so in other words, on a Sunday, you don't just have to be the big man who's off to give the talk. Mm. You know, you sit and listen and that's an, that in, and you, you hear the word. So I just think those things, you know, the, the commitment to the, to, to the prayer meeting, my prayer, my prayer life um, is not good, but it would be a lot worse for not, if it weren't for Uncle John's example. There was a 7 a.m. prayer meeting this morning that I started at and again it's John's example of of you mm. this is what you need to do but but the other thing is you know I I I mean you, we don't want to let the Lord Jesus down but I, I I would hate to let him down too in terms of what he's built at all souls and to bring dishonor to it you know I think those you know I would I I, I I found his self-sacrifice compelling were there things you um, found difficult no, I, I mean, honestly, I, I think there was such humility and such an other person-centeredness. But, but that may be a problem that I didn't. I mean, I, Mark, I, you know, mm. I know he was a sinful man, but I, I found his treatment of me was always so gracious. And, mm. you know, uh, you know and, and, but also he would rebuke, you know. Mm. I mean, uh, my first meeting with him, um, As it, when you first got here and he asked me for tea and he read me the five points of humility. He oh. said, have you read The Christian Priest today? 
by Ramsey. And I said, yes, I had, because I read it for ordination training. I was so thrilled I'd read it. And he said, do you remember chapter eight? I said, not really. He said, let me read it to you. And it was the five marks of humility. And, and you know, prayer and thanksgiving are soil in which pride does not easily grow. Um, celebrate your humiliations. They're good for you. Um, be thankful. Um, so that's the same as prayer and thanksgiving. Another one was um, cultivate friends that laugh at you. You know, I can remember, you know, so now we didn't, I remember leaving that, that day and thinking, well, we didn't go through those five points of humility for his benefit. <laughs> <laughs> Although in his mind, it probably was. Yeah. Well, he was so sweet. So he would rebuke as well, ask mm. the questions. Oh, brother, I don't really have a crit of it. I mean, I, yeah, no, it's... I, I, I thought it was so kind of him. And then so kind to see my friends, my brother-in-law he saw, you know, and gave, gave, advice that will be lifelong cherished mm. you know they'd go in tell their situation ask a question on their mind and he'd reflect on it and i think it would give them a tremendous sense of mm. you know do you have an embarrassing moment out of the many well i i do i'll <laughs> tell you one i'll tell you one um <laughs> the, the, i mean there were a number but one was so I, I was at the back of all souls and um this girl came out called mary ambler and um, she knew a friend of mine. I'd just been at Wycliffe Hall getting my third uh, <laughs> at, at Theological College. And that and, was no mean feat. No, no, no. So Mary came out, and as she was going past, she mentioned a couple of people I knew. And I said, oh, where long have you been in London? She said, I've just arrived. I said, where are you staying? She said, I've got nowhere to stay, and I'm here. I said, well, you, well, you can stay with me. So uh, she was 21 and you know, just graduated from uni and blonde. And, Suddenly she was staying with me. I hadn't really thought about it. So she said, well, that would be amazing. I'll bring my... I'm single. So I fortunately had a couple of other guys. It was amazing. I had the, a couple of other people staying. I think like Uncle John, this idea of, you know, with, with Weymouth Street where he had people staying. So I had them. But nevertheless, Mary came to stay for six weeks. And then about three weeks into her stay, I walked through her room because the answer machine was in her bedroom. I walked through. Uh, she was out working. And there were a number of books. There was a fresh start and basic Christianity and these other books, a mere Christianity on, on her bed. And I sort of said, I said, Mary, are you doing a talk or something? And she said, no, I'm, I'm not actually a Christian yet. I said, what? So now I had a 21 year old non-Christian staying with me. So I, it was Sunday coming. And I said, Mary, there is a guest service with Uncle John. You know, why don't you come along? So she came along. John was preaching on Matthew. 37, 13 and 14, you know, the wide and narrow, broad and narrow path. And she was converted. So at the end of the service, she's still a Christian today. Hmm. She went up and said, I, I prayed the prayer. So to, to Uncle John. To Uncle John. So then I'm in the vestry and he says, after she's gone, <laughs> I didn't know she'd prayed the prayer. I didn't know any of it. But Uncle John suddenly says, Rico, Mary Ambler. And I went, yes. <laughs> and he said, she's come to faith. I went, Wonderful. He said, she says she's living with you. I said, yes. He says it. He said, it doesn't sound very good. I said, no, Uncle John. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just such a mess. <laughs> such a mess. Oh, my goodness. That was a bad moment. You know. Oh, dear. That's beautiful. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Anyway, Mary's still a Christian today. And, and did was John courageous. mention it again? Not really. No, no, no. But, you know, Mary Ambler. And I was like, oh, gosh, what have I done now? You know, terrible. Oh, yeah. that's beautiful. Yeah. Um, 
Well, this is this has been a treat. I, I wonder if we can wrap it up with just a, a, a summation, really. You know, what his legacy in in your life now. I mean, you've touched on this, but if you Brother, had to sum it up as personal godliness, yeah, uh, which was shown by loving people. Mm. But I I do think you know the lot. I was at his last sermon at Keswick. And he said, he said, godliness is the great need of the church today. That was the last public address he was going to mm. give. And he knew what, what we needed. You know, he, you know, Gandhi's line, all India would be at, at the Christ's feet if Christians were like Jesus. Mm, it's Murray McShane's line, well, he, isn't it? You know, he, he, if you listen to his last sermon at Keswick, if you're listening here, and Uncle John goes through the need for personal godliness and... You know, he tried to live it himself, and it is the great need always. Mm. And I think that that would be it, really. Which is a huge challenge, but what a model we have of someone trying to. Yeah, yeah, he was, he was very serious about that. And that came out of the fact he was very serious about looking into his own sin. Mm. Growing downwards, as Simeon said. Rico, thank you so much. It's been a treat. Pleasure. Lovely to talk about him. For your prayers, it's hard not to come back to praying for the situation in Ukraine. And it's coming up to a month since the Russian invasion began. Please continue to cry out to God for his mercy, truth and justice to take hold of this situation. We're thinking of the many thousands caught in the crossfire or who now find themselves in occupied territories. Pray for those who are besieged in cities that are resisting. And in the midst of the chaos and fog of war, we pray for God's people to be witnesses to a different way, a life of hope and divine justice, even though they may seem very remote at the moment. And in the midst of this, we pray for them to be a light in the darkness and that many people would turn to you. We know of many brothers and sisters who've joined the resistance efforts. And we pray that in all kinds of ways, they would witness miracles that give hope to all around. But above all, please pray that this war would end and the insanity of it all to be reversed. These are beyond human capacities in so many different ways. And so we trust in God to change and transform Ukraine. Thank you so much for listening to The Stock Legacy. Thank you also to my Langham Partnership colleagues who have helped to make this podcast a reality. And special thanks to Vic Marseille from Langham Partnership UK and Ireland for all her hard work in editing and producing each episode. Please do leave a review wherever you get your podcasts, recommend it to friends, and above all, tune in next time. Until then, goodbye.